RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio. Dr. Melissa Darby is a senior lecturer in early literacy and human development at Waikato University, and she's coming back to RCR in this program. She was on in May uh, to talk about why literacy matters. We've recently had a couple of interviews here. You might remember with Dr. Michael Johnston from the New Zealand Initiative, he was highlighting the declining literacy rates for New Zealand school students, and we were discussing the reasons for and the implications of this. And Melissa has recently written a Substack article on this topic, which argues that literacy plays a crucial role in transforming lives, both at the individual and the community level. So here is Dr. Melissa Darby back on RCR. Welcome back, Melissa. Nice to have you back again. Thanks, Paul. Thanks for having me back. I think last time we were talking about Speak Up for Women. We were. That was a great yeah. conversation. <laughs> so we're wearing the other hat now. <laughs> we are. Okay. First question. It sounds like a dumb question because we should really know the answer, but what in fact is literacy defined? Gosh, well, it, it does seem like a very simple question, but it seems it's not so simple anymore. There are, in my mind um, and in the minds of a lot of people, literacy is reading and writing. I think that's where the focus should lie, as I've outlined yeah. in that piece that I wrote. For others, though, literacy is increasingly ever-expanding definition of what constitutes literacy. We've had the idea that talking and listening or viewing and presenting is a form of literacy um, on its own. Are they enough? No. Uh, and then, of course, more obscure, in my view, uh, definitions of literacy, dance, bridal henna was one I read recently. Sorry, what, um, what, what's that one? Bridal henna, you know, um, the sort of, I believe it's an, an Indian practice of um, the sort of henna tattoos on oh, your I, hands. I right, yeah. Uh, and even, you know, dances, I think I've mentioned Samoan Siva, uh, cultural practices, knowledge that is valuable, obviously, its own, in its own right, but is it the same as reading and writing? No, it isn't. And that's where I think the, the issue lies. So how come that definition is broadened out then from the, what I would say, the obvious, the historical obvious? Uh, partly due to this idea of cultural relativism, where there's this notion, and I've heard it expressed many times before, and I've spoken out about it and written other pieces about it, that literacy is seen as part of reading and writing, is what I mean when I say the word yeah. literacy. Yeah. Um, literacy um, is seen as a Western or you know colonial kind of a practice. Oppression tool. A oppression tool in some cases, believe it or not. Yeah. Um, and so the general kind of consensus in many parts of academia now is, you know, Western, anything Western is inherently bad or has to be criticised and critiqued in some way. So from that, we need to then balance the ledger, if you like, by including the idea of literacy in other cultures. And that's where things like um, reading carvings, reading the environment, uh, cultural performances and things like that come in. Yeah, but there's no accuracy in that, is there? No, and look, they're not the same thing. You know, I can't go into a marae and read a carving. I can, it serves as a memory prompt in that I can go in and perhaps know a story by, you know, I need to know the story first and I might be able to uh, recall that story through the carving by understanding what pieces of the carving are attached to which part of the story. But it, it's more a memory prompt rather than picking up a text that you've never read before and being able to access it because you are literate. Yeah, so it seems that, um, okay, cultural relativism, but also it's embarrassing when you're having um, 
the kind of results that that our education system is getting. And you've got to kind of don't look here, look over there. Kind of is what it feels like. Maybe that um, you know that uh, perhaps we're doing the wrong thing anyway. So forget that we're not doing too well there, or, or some version of that anyway. Yeah, if you sort of shift the goalpost, then you mask the problems that, you know, well, these children are literate because they have these skills and therefore yeah. our literacy rates suddenly increase, right? Yeah, and we're not why... failing. And we're personally yeah. not failing as, as delivering what we're paid to deliver. Yeah. Exactly. And I outline in that piece you mentioned really critical, uh, I guess, areas across the lifespan that literacy skills allow us to access. So it's not just a skill in its own right that we acquire, but it's also a tool that we use across our whole life. And the impact of having low literacy skills or high literacy skills obviously is severe. I mean, huge differences in life expectancy. In some communities, 26 years difference wow, in life okay. expectancy. Gee, it's that, That's not, you know, a minor issue. <laughs> so that's um, a quarter of your life potentially. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, and yeah. so that's why, you know, I I'm, was really sort of outraged, I guess, increasingly at the ever-expanding, ever-shifting definitions of literacy that we are coming across and where I see it as reckless um, for children who, you know, rely on schooling to change their trajectory in life. And if people who care, as I say in the article about social justice, should care about literacy. Of course, social justice is another sort of slightly interesting term that often means anything but justice, but that's another conversation. <laughs> yeah, because any non-literate person is compared to any literate person or group is at, I mean, that's almost both hands tied behind your back right there. It is, it is. And so if we aren't serious about teaching kids strong literacy skills, um, it, it affects obviously their education while they're at school, their ability to access other parts of the curriculums hindered, their ability to engage in civic affairs, lifelong learning, all sorts of things once they leave school, it, it's not helped. <laughs> and so to me, not being serious about literacy and teaching reading and writing in the way that kids ought to be taught it um, only will entrench disadvantage. And, and that's obviously something we should all be concerned about. So, okay, we've just had an election. So it's a, the question is valid. Are we talking about a political ideology here that hopefully now has had a circuit breaker? Because I think um, there has been rhetoric from, you know, parties that are now uh, forming governments that, um, you know, reading and writing and arithmetic and, and the, the basics uh, and also testing of that, monitoring of that is a priority. So something's happened, has it? I hope so. Um, yes, I do think that the incoming government, their focus on the basics is really important, um, that kids have to leave school with that at the very least, and they're simply not now. Um, and we're not talking about children leaving school or going on to university. At the moment, people aren't even leaving with the basic levels of, of literacy and obviously numeracy as well. Um, there are There is more to it than that, though. So I think we need to have a shift in attitude around schooling and education generally, a shift in attitude around literacy, um, engage parents and, uh, you know, people in the home in in reading and conversations and so on to get children interested in learning itself. And of course, make sure that our, our teacher training programs are equipped and geared in the right direction to actually enable teachers to teach this kind of stuff. Because that's not new. Uh, I was at school and boy, did we do that. You know, um, there was a lot of emphasis on that. It was 
a lot of it was rote, but it, it kind of had to be. Um, but it worked, right? <laughs> it, it worked. And I don't even recall it being boring. You just did it. Yeah. And it, to be honest, there wasn't, even if it was boring, well, we weren't conditioned to thinking that everything had to be fun and we had to be happy all the time like yeah, we are now. We kind of just did it. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I don't, I don't think back to it and think, oh my God, you know, that was so, that was so painful to go through. It wasn't. And it seemed to be um, done or carried off quite successfully because virtually everybody could read and write to quite a reasonable standard, actually. Definitely. And there are other factors that go into it, obviously, not just schooling, um, you know, parent attitude and, and a whole host of things in the home also play a really valuable part. Um, but certainly children left with much higher standards of literacy and numeracy, obviously, you know, a generation or two ago than they do now. So what do teachers actually think they're teaching? I don't days? know. <laughs> I mean, it's been a while since I've been connected with schools, but... Um, I mean... Yeah. There's, there's an increasing number of um, challenges, I guess, in classrooms anyway, in terms of behaviour um, and the multitude of social challenges that teachers are dealing with. Um, I actually just had a group of students this week, I'm teaching summer school, and uh, some of them are teacher trainees, and they feel quite ill-equipped to deal with those sorts of things in the classroom. And if you've got children who, a classroom that you don't have sort of quote, under control, if you like, well, literacy is the last thing on your mind, yeah. whatever yeah. that may be to you. <laughs> so lots of lots of challenges, I guess, out there. So the teachers aren't adequately being trained to deliver this in the, in the kind of the standard that I would have expected from my experience historically anymore. Is that the case? Teachers spend, in my view, in teacher training programs too much time on what I would term as activism, um, you know, learning about things like neoliberalism or or a particular view on colonization or, uh, you know, those sorts of things. I, I think it's a real concern. When, Isn't it called indoctrination? Well, I would call it that. <laughs> and and, um, and what, what do kids want to know about that? But what sort of age groups are we talking about here? Well, these are primary early childhood teacher trainees. Um, you know, they're the trainee teachers and what they then do with that information, I guess, is 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 perhaps up to them. But very much a critique on systems. And that's yeah. not to say that systems shouldn't be critiqued. Of course, they should be. But um, it's not that. It's more of an indoctrination and a very particular ideological view is pushed in a lot of these programs. And it's a real concern when we have teachers spending very little time or, or leaving universities and teacher training programs not able, and I've had them tell me this, not able or confident in terms of setting up their own reading program in a school. That That's an appalling indictment on, on initial teacher education. And they know that that's kind of not right? Yes, and I think they know it when they perhaps get thrown in the deep end into a classroom yeah, and then find themselves idea. unable to to do what they need to do in terms of teaching these children. Um, another thing too that's interesting is some of the pieces I've written speaking out about some of this stuff don't always land so well, interestingly, among the academic community, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but land very well among teachers. And I have teachers email me on average one or two teachers a week across you know a year. Um, saying thank you, these are things that we find increasingly difficult, these are things that are very difficult to to call out or to speak out about because of the implications, I guess, of that. But um, we agree. And and if only we can have this conversation more widely, you know, in the, in the public sphere. 
The response you get from academics, you just mentioned the interesting, obviously, who are very literate, otherwise they wouldn't be able mm. to earn their keep, I would imagine. Yes. So so why would they have a, a certain, when they know the power of it? Well, that well, I said that in that article that you, that you've mentioned is you know the irony is that the claims made about literacy are invariably made by people who are highly literate, literate enough to write a PhD. So they're not, you know, they're they're at the extreme end of in terms of high literacy rates or skills. Um, I don't know. I think that there's an increasing disconnect between abstract thinking in universities and realities in the you know the in classrooms in this particular so two mm. sort of wrapped up in cotton wool somewhere disconnected yes and 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 the um the echo chamber all says the same thing yes. and uh and you can't here's the follow the money but you don't get the jobs if you are bucking the trend right if you're an outlier yeah, you certainly put your neck on the line. And I think as well, uh, the, you know, it's things that sound good on paper, it, that's one thing, but we need to make sure that they actually are good in practice too. And I don't think we do that enough. Often the celebration comes with the launch of the new curriculum, as an example, rather than, okay, well, did this curriculum do what we thought it was going to do? Is it going to work in practice? And I've had anecdotal stories of people telling me that, you know, the it sounds good and, and nice on paper for some of the stuff that's coming out at the moment in education, but the reality is very different. It's highly impractical often or just completely disconnected from, from a classroom situation. And most of the old timers have gone now, haven't they? So I guess the um, the, the corporate or, or the um, the hive mind memory is, is not what it used to be. No. Yeah, or, or sometimes, I mean, I know teachers who have been in the profession for, you know, 25, 30 years, and they just ignore a lot of this stuff. They've got the confidence okay. to know, yeah. you yeah. know, that, yeah. that they know what they're doing. They've taught X number of children over that time to read or write or, or do maths or whatever the case may be. So they're not, they sort of roll their eyes a bit at it. But that, you know, those people are fewer and farther between the more that time goes on. And we have new graduates coming out who know all about neoliberalism, but very little about reading programs. And, and that's a problem. Okay. So <laughs> and might uh, I add one view of neoliberalism, sure. of course, too? <laughs> not, yeah. not, not a multitude of, not of the perspectives on it. <laughs> yeah. Now, um, if Dr. Melissa Darby was in charge, had the levers and could get her wish list. And if anyone from this new government is listening, which is possible, <laughs> what needs to happen and in and, and, and what time frame? Well, urgently, um, I think, yesterday. But to really to stop um, as few children as possible falling through the ever-widening gap um, of learning. But I would love to see um, that the structured literacy approach is, I think, going to have really um, great gains in teaching children the relationship between letter sounds and things, helping them to, to decode. Um, I would love to see more involvement from families. It doesn't mean that we turn homes into schools or anything, but families are a bit of an untapped potential um, and I think that the kinds of conversations and the sort of attitude that we foster in the home to school and to reading and things makes a world of difference as well and huge changes to initial teacher education where teachers are properly equipped to come out and actually deal with this stuff. That's to start. <laughs> yeah, that's just the start. That's the first hundred days. <laughs> yeah. um, what about, um, I mean, families can can take matters into their own hands too, can't they? And uh, and teach this themselves if they have to. 
Uh, yes and no. So sort of it's a case of you don't know what you don't know. And the um, again, uh, the gap will only get wider. The families who have higher levels of literacy themselves, who know the value of reading, who have used reading and, and literacy skills to perhaps get good educa- a good education and consequently a good job and so on, will definitely uh, know or be proactive in terms of their child's learning. I'm talking generally, obviously. Um, and conversely, people who perhaps don't know or who feel it's not their job, I've heard that a lot because I work with families in this area, and or people who quite literally feel that they can't make any difference whatsoever in their child's learning, they won't. And, and of course, the gap will continue to, to widen. And uh, I'm just thinking uh, also that um, at some point, and this is what we've talked about with Dr. Michael Johnston from the New Zealand Initiative before. At some point, this ends up having an impact on the economy, mm-hmm. um, how well we all do, how well we all get on. Absolutely. The sense of who has what and who doesn't have whatever. It's a divisive, corrosive thing over time, isn't it? It is. And I don't think we take it seriously enough. I, As I've mentioned, I've worked with well over 100 families to teach small tips and strategies that families can do within the home to support their children's early learning in this space. So I'm talking preschool and early as a primary school mostly. Um, So often parents say to me, oh, my child doesn't like reading. They're not a book person. They prefer to be outside or something. But it's much more than that. You know, literacy is obviously if you don't enjoy reading, you're not going to read. And there's a lot of research around the uh, benefits of reading for pleasure in terms of social relationships um, social cohesion, even diminished um, likelihood of onset early, uh, early onset dementia, uh, multi- yeah. so many things. Yeah. Um, and not, and of course, all of the stuff around so higher socioeconomic standards, um, health exp- outcomes, all of that kind of stuff as well. Um, and then, yes, in terms of the economy, um, if we don't have people who are able to acquire knowledge, and you need literacy to to learn, uh, that's going to be a problem as well. So. Uh, it's not just about whether you enjoy a book, although it does include that. It's It sort of radiates out a bit of a ripple effect into a whole host of areas, plus things like critical thinking and, and yeah. that's a problem. And yeah. Yeah. How do you get the information to even think about it? Exactly. And and how do you, um, once you, you know, just because you can physically decode a text in, in terms of reading it, can you then understand that and apply yeah. that information in your life and apply it in a way that hopefully furthers your, your outcomes? And yeah, it's, it's, it's serious, I think. <laughs> yeah, it's um, just to finish up on, it's kind of sad, isn't it? Back to sort of where we started, you mentioned that you know, literacy is sort of seen as a sort of colonizing tool, mm. let's say, um, a sort of um, an exclusive, you know, superpower of the, you know, of the who- whoever. It's sad that it's been portrayed like that because it is the most beautiful thing. Oh, it's exceptional. And I mean, I'm a reader, obviously. Um, and for me, uh, there's nothing better than, you know, enjoying a good book. But I think as well, just in relation to the, um, idea that literacy is this kind of feature of colonization. I mean, I've he- had um, people in academia suggest that I'm conducting some kind of neo-colonial crusade by concerning myself with the literacy rates in particular of Māori children, because uh, unfortunately, 
of the children who struggle in that area, Māori are overrepresented. To now, me, why is that? Uh, let's be honest. Why is uh, that? Well, I would have to look at data sets to look at the multiple factors because, you know, these things often are, are caused by a variety of things. But I would imagine that it's strongly correlated with the lower socioeconomic um you know, the fact that a lot of Māori children are in lower socioeconomic homes or a disproportionate number, I yeah, should say. but they're say. in schools as well, and they've got teachers in front of them. Ah, uh, yes, but teachers who aren't perhaps um, well-equipped uh, to, um, okay. <laughs> to teach Worst these of things. all worlds, okay. Yes, and that's why, for me, I argue that if we, um, you know, that for children who are in homes where books are uh, they're surrounded by books and so on, you know, this arguably they'll survive, right, because they've got parents or, or caregivers yep. or whatever who are prepared to go into bat for them if they um, are falling through the cracks. But for children who rely on a, on a good education to sort of change their lot in life um the the notion that literacy is is dance or or some that, kind of cultural knowledge is just absurd that is a kind of patronizing attitude yes. isn't it because it's giving yes. it's kind of making excuses absolutely and i think that it's only going to compound the issue that a lot of Māori children face in terms of the uh, sort of literacy outcomes because now there's almost a suggestion coming through that if you're a good reader, that somehow is buying into this colonial idea and you're somehow a traitor to your group. I mean, these are very real things that I've heard, and I mentioned some of those in in that article, that some one academic suggested that you were becoming white. That's a quote, becoming oh, white. Dear. I mean, that's uh, just absurd. <laughs> Yeah, okay. It's very Especially, highly charged, isn't it? Uh, yeah. It is, it is. So you see the sort of political implications and very, you know, ideological implications around a lot of this. And for me, I'm concerned with the impact on, on you know, children's outcomes. And, and I think that we need to have a serious conversation about do we really want to argue that argue this way? Because I no, think we don't. <laughs> I don't think, I don't think any, any, any logical person knows that's silly. That, I'm sure of that. Well, I, I would like to think so too. I don't think that there's anyone in this country, hopefully, and certainly working in education, who doesn't want to see Māori children, for example, succeeding in literacy. But it's like they're almost so captured by the ideology. It's sort of just a, I must think like this. I'm not too sure, to be honest. I, it baffles me. But um, but there we have it. I think that's why I wrote that piece, to, to try and, you know, raise some awareness and have this conversation and... Um, have a really get us to really think carefully about the direction we're heading in with all of this stuff. We're chatting about it. Um, what other um, contact or, or feedback or engagement have you had from it? Um, pretty good engagement, actually. Um, lots of principals saying, um, you know, can you come and chat to our school about some of this stuff? Uh, they have had various forms of PLD in some cases along the sim a similar line where, you know, anything Western is inherently bad and anything non-Western is inherently good. And and that's very much tied up with a lot of this stuff. And um, they're looking for alternative views, I guess, um, ones that are far more positive and far more um, realistic and hopefully bring better outcomes than a kind of dismal, we're all oppressed approach. What's the, can you give me off the top of... Um... You had the the web address for that, or, or some way that it makes it easier for people who are just listening to retain. Oh, for the article, to get to, to to the piece, yeah, I think. Oh, that sure. Be, um, yeah. so, um, it's called "Failing a Generation." Um, what what literacy is and why it matters. 
So if people Google that and perhaps yep. um, my name thrown in there as well, then then they'll find it for sure. Great to have you back on our program. Melissa, thanks for coming back. Thanks for having me. Pleasure. I'm sure. Write, write something else and we'll talk again, I'm sure. <laughs> okay. Oh, I no doubt will. Yeah, <laughs> okay. Dr. Dr. Melissa Darby, University of Waikato, thanks so much. Thank you. RCR with Paul Brennan, Reality Check Radio.